1: Welcome back everybody to the IRR show this Tuesday morning And I've got something a little bit different for you Um, Different in a number of respects Um, Firstly, it'll probably be more positive than most of our input Which is can be horribly depressing And uh, paint South Africa in a very uh, distressing light My guest is also young Um, He's a classical liberal And as I understand, he's a student But I wasn't sure if that's UCT or Stellenbosch I wasn't quite sure but he will explain himself, and I introduce you. Welcome, Tariq Khan.
0: Good morning, Sarah. Thanks for having me here today, and good morning to the viewers as well. My name is Tariq Khan. I'm a colored South African. At the moment, I'm also agnostic. I'm very open-minded about my religious faith, and there's a lot that I'm questioning at the moment. In terms of my academic background, which you touched on very likely there, I was a Stirling Bosch University student, I graduated with a BA degree in history, politics, and sociology. At the moment, I'm studying towards an advanced diploma in marketing and advertising communications at the Red and Yellow Creative School of Business. as one of the leading business schools here in Africa. And then the last point that I'd like to touch on is that I am also a classical
1: liberal. Can I ask you this? Two things. Uh, Usually I don't ask because it's sensitive, but in your your case, not so much. What I'd like to know is, um, how old are you and what do you regard as, what is being classical liberal mean to you?
0: So I'm 22 years, I'm 23 years old, sorry, (laughs) I'm turning 24 in September. And then classical liberalism to me, I think the core word that I associate with this term is freedom. Classical liberalism is the ability to be who you are without any restraint. It is also a commitment to the core ideas that make liberalism great. And those ideas, according to my knowledge, are a limited government, a system where there's a rule of law in order to prevent people from clashing with each other violently without any consequences. And then another principle of classical liberalism is free markets. If people want access to certain services or products, a person should be able to provide it to them and then receive remuneration for that. That's a voluntary transaction, and being able to participate in that is also a sign of their freedom.
1: Were you always a classical liberal? I mean, you're young, so you've got lots of time to change your mind and uh, develop your own <laughs> you Did you uh, politically act aware? Did you hold different beliefs at a younger age?
0: In 2013, I remember the DA was really running a big issue-driving campaign about the Encounter Gate scandal, and it was something that was dominating the media cycle quite significantly. So at the age of 16, I was talking to a friend about politics, and both of us came to the conclusion that something about South Africa needed to change, and we decided that we wanted to become part of politics He decided, ironically, that he would join the ANC and he would try to change it within its ranks, but he didn't even sign a membership card. And then I decided that I was going to join the Democratic Alliance. Later, when I started reading up on the DA's philosophy, I learned that there was a lot of principles that the party espoused for that I agreed with. And I touched on some of them in the previous question. And then... In high school, I was part of a current affairs society where we invited prominent civil society leaders to our school just to talk to the students about the involvement in current affairs. Some of the leaders were students on the right to know campaign. Some people were part of the freeze must fall campaign, which I've come not to agree with now that I'm a bit more older. And then around this time, I was also active in a few community NGOs. So there's always been a great sense of activism and community development. I'm really passionate about those things. Where my ideological background is concerned, at first I was a social liberal, where I was thinking that, no, there's just so much inequality in South Africa and the government must just fix it. I have unquestioning faith in the government's ability to get things done. All of that started changing when I went to university and I started questioning things for myself. I'm also quite outspoken, so whenever I do question things or have thoughts, I tend to air them quite openly. And what happened one day was that I decided to question the tenets of the left-wing ideology on social media. I asked people, I, I just asked a simple question and I remember it's, I remember it so clear. I said, mm-hmm. do you know what guys, as people on the left, we tend to have this, this faith in the government's ability to fix problems. We think that we should hand over all our power to government and we can just trust the politicians. But I mean, just look at history and what that shows us about what politicians do when they have power that goes unquestioned. Like, I mean, just look at what the National Party did when it had all of that power. It segregated South Africa. It implemented various policies to discriminate against people of color. And I think that this really creates a strong case for limiting the power of government. When I said that, it really wasn't received well, and people were trying to, I don't know, it was almost as if they were trying to lynch me on social media or something. They were trying to assassinate my character. And I just wasn't going to have that. So I'll get back with him. And then it was a really huge debate. And that's when I started questioning things. And I think at that point, I identify more as a classical liberal. And then there was another incident involving social media as well. So someone wrote this anonymous Facebook post where they said that, oh, White ignorance rules this campus at Stellenbosch, and as people of color, we are so oppressed. And then I shared that, and I said, well, I mean, you are not the spokesperson for people of color, yeah? So where do you get your authority to speak on my experience? I know Stellenbosch does have its occasional issues involving racial discrimination, but even with those experiences unfolding, I don't feel oppressed or marginalized. I'm a empowered, colored South African, and I don't identify with being a victim. That's not part of how I see myself. So I think those experiences of how the left, they don't welcome critical thinking, they don't welcome open-mindedness, that really caused me to leave them permanently. And now I'm a classical liberal.
1: Okay, well welcome to the club. Um... <laughs> So, Rick, what I wanted to ask you was, for, for, from a background point of view growing up, um, yeah. parents, friends, or neighbours, when you were, what was generally the political positions of that older generation?
0: Difficult question to answer. I'd say that the political influences at home have always been really mixed. Mm-hmm. I have a great aunt who told me she used to vote for the PAC in the 1990s. And she told me that she was a supporter of Patricia DeLaule around that time. Then my one great uncle on my dad's side, he was very pro-AMC. And whenever we went to family functions, we would always get into heated debates. And he would tell me all of these conspiracy theories about, about how the Jewish people are controlling South Africa, you know, how the DA is just for Jews. And then I would just counter that with the facts. Actually there's no religious group in the country that is control of the government. And the DA, according to my knowledge, represents also Africans. And then on my maternal side of my family, people aren't really politically inclined. I just know that my grandmother uh political positions are also very much cons- I wouldn't say also very much because I'm not a conservative, but uh her views are very conservative. My grandmother stands for gun rights. She stands for, for harsh punishments on criminal activity. She also don't, doesn't like an overbearing government. And she just values stability and hierarchy. And according to my understanding, those are conservative values.
1: Well, she, she I imagine she's quite a, quite an intimidating and interesting character to come across.
0: <laughs> she really that's,
1: is. That's a very nice mix from one side to the other. Um, Tariq, you mentioned that you uh, your BA included history Oh yes um, One of the things that concerns me about the, the, the critical race theory And mm. the general, the, the area of intolerance on the left Is that it's not, it's not just a matter of distorting the history that it relies upon But it seems to... Either ignore or possibly not even know much about history, mm. working from the what seeming to work from the premise that what matters is the now um, yeah I would question that, but i'd like your view on the role that history plays in forming a society, a society currently
0: so I think that history is really important because through understanding the past, we can also understand the issues in our present day society, and I also think that if you learn history. Then you will also understand. You will just understand civilizations better. You can read about how they succeeded over the long haul and what led to the decline. I agree with you wholeheartedly that uh, I'm not sure if this is what you were touching on, but something that I like to add is that I think in some ways the ideological left really manipulates history to suit their own mm-hmm. agenda. For instance, so this is where the Stalin, Bosch, and UCT difference comes into play. Mm-hmm. So my sister was. Telling me about some of the lecture notes and I was so shocked at some of the things that they were teaching students there. It seemed as though when they were teaching students about colonialism and slavery, they were talk they were saying that from the outset of the system it was racial. And I questioned that because according to my understanding, slavery and colonialism from the outset was never actually racial. It was about different societies. Dominating each other. And then it was only later that it eventually developed this racial cleavage. That's something that I learned in history at Stellenbosch. So I think a lot of the ignorance that we see amongst the left, it's because they aren't reading the proper proper things. I remember also one of my academic influences, Dr. Thomas Sowell, I actually learned that even white people, some white people were slaves during the past but this isn't something that you would actually come across in woke history because it just suits the agenda to say people of colour have always been slaves.
1: I think what history really re- reveals, to touch on what you said, is that mankind has, has certain impulses and uh, mm. the achievement of power is one of them and how you achieve it is, is a matter of circumstance and choice and that throughout history peoples of all colors races creeds languages have at different times dominated it's just that they are far away from one's own experience so if you don't know about them or you choose to ignore them um you can happily slot in what suits you um, in the case of 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 crt slavery in america um while ignoring the fact that A life isn't perfect. It doesn't live according to rules, and people power at different times. And sometimes they, sorry, they um, they express their power uh, more leniently, and sometimes they're brutal.
0: Exactly, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I I told my sister as well, Shakira, do you know that many years ago the Japanese colonized? um, They colonized China. They colonized South Korea. You could call them the white people of Asia, basically as a joke. Here in Africa, the Zulu Empire used to get into regular wars with other African polities. And I'm not sure if this is correct, but I think that what they used to do is they'd either kill the African polity or they would absorb them into their own ranks. And then if you look at countries, if you look at North America, North America was essentially a British colony. And look what it is today. So I often talk to my sister about this, just to inform her that there are many societies that have been colonized, but it seems to be only the African societies that keeps on blaming colonialism for its current issues.
1: In fact, I think you you put up the 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 um, point of uh, Japan, and you have the. What I think is a very interesting example for South Africa is you have a successful China and you have a successful South Korea. Feelings toward the Japanese are still very negative. They are very bitter about the Japanese um, clo- about Japanese colonialism about the brutality of it. But they've done what, I, what I'm scared that we are not doing, and that is they they the experience informs where they go, but it doesn't dictate their future. We're tending to have, tending towards the past dictating the future, which is. Completely unconstructive. Nothing, nothing really changes if if you do, if you go that route. Would you agree with me?
0: I fully agree with you, and I'm not sure what the specific term is. So I read this book by Dr. Cronier, and I think that in this one he speaks about chosen victimhood, or cho- I'm not sure what the the term is, but it's basically after traumatic experience, society has two options. I can either choose to walk on the path of gloryhood where it overcomes all of its problems and it becomes economically and socially independent, or it can just choose to to wallow away in its sense of victimhood. And it really seems as though that's what South Africa is doing at the moment because we have so much money, we have so much commodities that we could turn into something valuable and sell, but it really just seems as though we always need to blame colonialism and apartheid for where we are today. And I'm so tired of hearing this excuse because, I mean, we're in our democracy for more than 25 years. And at what point do we stop blaming the past for where we are today? I really think people need to start voting in a way that changes the country positively. And I don't think that the ANC has the capacity to do that at the moment. I mean, Sarah, the solutions to South Africans' problems are so simple and easy to understand It is backed by years of research, but the ANC just seems resistant to implementing it. In this one book that I have somewhere, Why Nations Fail, Mm -hmm. the authors speak about the importance of private property rights, and they speak about the transformative impact that it has on society. What does the ANC want to do? It wants to dismantle property rights. Mm -hmm. It wants to dismantle, dismantle a key pillar in helping people to get out of poverty. So it really just seems as though the ANC is trying to do South Africa in, and it isn't open to the ideas that could change our country.
1: For most people, it's inexplicable, but and but I think it's it's as probably as simple as this. It's one is the the strength of ideology. It's it's Hmm. it's 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 it has the power of a religion of old, Um, (laughs) and the other is the the idea that somehow whether they're in charge. Or whoever's in charge, they regard the people, and in this respect, obviously mostly black people, as victims. And they must be brought out of their victimhood. And I think critical race theory takes the same view. The problem is, is that if you rely, if you're relying on your oppressor to do it, in sheer numbers, the whites of South Africa are too small to do it. And in terms of America, they show that it doesn't matter the fact that the whites are the majority, you can't you can't bring someone out of their victimhood because you can only, if whatever you do to assist has to stop at one point and the person themselves mm. has to lift themselves up with, with, with whatever, whatever is available to them.
0: Yes, I echo the sentiments and I'd like to tell you and the viewers a story. So this one day I stepped out of a taxi and I was walking to my house. And then as I'm walking to my house, this one youngster was just sitting on the corner with his friends. He asked me for a tour and I didn't even look back to acknowledge him because I was so fed up of getting that same question the whole time. And then I just said that, you know, I understand that sometimes you don't really have the opportunities to, to support yourself economically, but you still need to put in the effort to try and change your circumstances. This youngster and I, we are from the same neighborhood. But it seems to be me who's the only one who's actually making sacrifices to study further, who's making an effort to build up work experience at an institution. You know, I'm putting in all of this effort. And then this guy's sitting on the street corner asking people for a touran. So I really don't agree with this ideology that people are victims of abstract systems. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are victims of their own decisions. And one of the reasons why I get so upset with South African politicians are because I often hear them pandering to the sense of victimhood, where they teach people that it's okay to always blame others, other institutions, other systems, and other people for your problems. No one actually speaks about how sometimes the reason why your life isn't getting better is because you're not trying to make it better. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a principle that my grandmother Instilled in me when I was growing up,
1: mm-hmm. she always
0: told me that, you know, life might, life might be a bit unfair sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's actually a sin if you just give up and you allow yourself to remain oppressed. Mm-hmm. You need to set goals and you need to work towards something. And I really just wish more politicians would communicate ideas along those lines but I don't think that any of them will anytime soon because it's very politically incorrect to tell someone, get off of the streets and go look for a job. Mm. Like I also know that unemployment is high, but I still think that, you know, if you just stand on a corner and offer your labor to someone for a tour, then that's completely different mm. than just asking me for money. If you get what I'm saying. Mm.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you you seem to change your your what you're studying now seems to be much more um, marketing real world business oriented. What, oh yes. What, how, what do you intend to do? What what is what is directing you towards? So
0: at the moment I'm really open minded and the reason why I chose this marketing qualification is because I wanted to have as many options as I possibly could before I chose what postgraduate qualification I wanted to study. I asked myself, what are my current options and what can I do to possibly expand them? And then I reasoned that if I did politics honors, then I would be limiting myself to politics-related professions. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I'm quite young and I might change my mind later on. So I chose marketing and advertising so that I can always do work in the private sector And so that if I choose to stay in civil society and politics, then I almost have a unique set of skills. I can help organizations to formulate a message and to market it to the right people. What I find is that a lot of people in civil society and politics, they study politics, honors, history, honors and international relations, honors. And that doesn't really give them a competitive advantage in the workspace.
1: No, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think the key, because so much of our conversation has actually revolved around how you communicate with a, with a constituency, um, and that that is a huge, huge, huge challenge. How do you think one should best try and reach youth, particularly with with uh, something as obscure as classical liberalism? Mm.
0: So. This is something that I'm taking out of marketing. So in South Africa, we have different LSM groups, and LSM stands for Universal Loving Standard Measurables. What you find is that people in the lower LSMs, they have a household income of, say, 3,000 Rand or 5,000 Rand, and there are very specific media, media channels that you can use to engage with them. And those media channels are primarily radio stations. Then as you look at the more higher LSM rankings, you find that people are more wealthier and then they have more media touch points. They use social media. They use, they use social media. They, they, they have access to television. They have access to, to, to newspapers as well So I think the first step would be For you to decide what segment of society Do you want to engage with And then you would have to tailor A communications plan To specifically reach them So I forgot where the Sun book is But it's this book on market research That speaks about the radio stations That are quite common Amongst black South African youth If you wanted to grow your support Amongst that audience You'd simply have to write A communications plan for them Mm -hmm. If you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So a very practical solution is identify who you want to hear your message and then tailor a plan that will make them want to listen to it. Right now what FAN is doing is it's trying to, it's trying to reach young audiences through relevant content.
1: In the uh, last few seconds literally, how do you see the future of South Africa?
0: Wow, that's, that's a really difficult question for me to answer. To be honest, I'd say that I really don't know, eh? Because on one hand, there are the issues that are really concerning. Our country's debt, our our country's debts are reaching unmanageable levels. There doesn't really seem to be any significant signs of reform. So in that sense, I do lack a lot of optimism for South Africa's future. But then on the other hand, what you see is that the SIU is arresting people for being involved in corruption. The judiciary is taking strong action against people who are implicated in misconduct. Two of those people are Boussi Siwe Mkwebane and Judge President John Clope. Mm-hmm. This makes me feel a bit confident because it just shows that our institutions are still really strong and they are independent. So in that sense, I have optimism. It's very contradictory, and at the moment, I'm just reading mixed signals. I'd say I'd have to speak to Dr. Cronier um, <laughs> in a couple of months just to ask him where he thinks the country is going.
1: Well, I think since you are, as say, this cliche says, you are the future, maybe he should speak to you. Uh, <laughs> thank you very, very much for coming on. Uh, it was a great pleasure, and I hope we'll speak to you again because I think there's much more we can canvas. And good luck no, with your studies.
0: Thanks so much, Sarah. I think that this was really fun, and I'd definitely be open to doing it again.
1: Super. Excellent. See you then. Thank you.